Good morning. Scott Luton here with you on this edition of This Week in Business History. Welcome to today's show. On this program, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we take a look back at the upcoming week, and then we share some of the most relevant events and milestones from years past. Of course, mostly business-focused, with a little dab of global supply chain, and occasionally, we might just throw in a good story outside of our primary realm. So I invite you to join me on this look back in history to identify some of the most significant leaders, companies, innovations, and perhaps lessons learned in our collective business journey. Now, let's dive in to this week in business history. Hello, and thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Scott Luton, and today on this edition of This Week in Business History, we're focused on the week of December 7th. In fact, we've got a special guest here in the studio, my 11-year-old daughter, very talented, intelligent daughter, Brantley Luton. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show. Before we get started, I wanted to share a personal experience related to today's key theme of computer science and programming. The United States Air Force sent me to college at the University of South Carolina in Columbia back in 1996. I chose the major of computer science for a variety of reasons, but I had no idea just how challenging the discipline was. I recall my first core class was a C++ programming class with the exceptional professor, Dr. Robert Cannon. But my brain just did not embrace the concepts behind computer programming. I remember many a night wrestling with a compiler to write basic code. Now looking back, I'll admit that I could have spent more time studying, but hey, nevertheless, computer programming wasn't meant to be my path in life, and that's a great thing. I changed my major after that first semester, and of course, the rest is history. However, that experience seared in my mind just how difficult the field of computer science is. Even though we thankfully have low-code and no-code movements afoot, which will certainly enable non-technologists across the globe to do big things with computers. Still, imagine the dedicated human brain power behind quantum computing and beyond. Those exceptionally intelligent computer scientists that are relentlessly driving the industry forward, discovering newer, faster, and more powerful technologies. I find it all fascinating, which brings us to today's story. We're going to be focusing on an absolute trailblazer and pioneer in computer science and technology, on so many levels for that matter. Today we focus on the intriguing story of one Grace Hopper. So stay tuned, and thanks again for joining us here on This Week in Business History, powered by our team here at Supply Chain Now. Grace Brewster Murray Hopper was born December 9, 1906 in New York City. She was born into a rather well-to-do family. Her grandfather was an admiral in the U.S. Navy during the U.S. Civil War. Her father, Walter Fletcher Murray, was a Yale graduate and owned an insurance company. Grace seemed to possess a natural curiosity, a quality that was lifelong for her. In fact, when she was seven years old, she took apart seven alarm clocks, determined to figure out how they worked. By the time her mother, Mary, had caught wind of what she was doing, she took six of the alarm clocks back away from Grace after Grace reassembled them, of course, but let her daughter have one to continue her scientific pursuits. No word if anyone in the Murray household overslept that day. In 1928, 
Grace Hopper would graduate Phi Beta Kappa from Vassar College. Her degree would be in mathematics and physics. But she wouldn't stop there. Grace Hopper would complete her PhD in mathematics and mathematical physics from Yale. After teaching and serving as an associate professor for several years after school, the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor caused Grace Hopper to want to serve her country. Despite repeated attempts, though, at joining the U.S. Navy, she was turned down, primarily due to her weight-height ratios, as Grace Hopper was a very petite individual. But she persisted, something that Grace Hopper would do her entire life, and eventually was sworn into the U.S. Navy Reserve. Right away, the U.S. Navy and Department of Defense saw her talent and skill. Grace Hopper would be quickly assigned early in her career on ordnance calculations. She proved her mettle there and would be promoted to the Mark I project at Harvard, working under early computer pioneer Howard Aiken. Aiken had developed the IBM Automatic Sequence Controlled Calculator, also known as the Mark I. It was the first large-scale digital computer. The Mark I filled an entire room, as you might imagine. Built by IBM, the machine was used in the war effort's final year or so. Grace Hopper's work on the Mark I project, which included creating the punching machine instructions onto tape and writing the 561-page user manual. 561 pages. That would be the world's first computer programming manual. And while all of this work would make Grace Hopper one of the very earliest computer programmers. In fact, some claim that she was one of the first three computer programmers in history. The Allies would use the Mark I for a variety of top-secret purposes, including computing rocket trajectories and calibrating minesweepers. Here's a very interesting factoid. While working on its successor, the Mark II, Grace and her team found a moth, that's right, the bug, a moth that was stuck in a computer relay. The moth had caused a glitch in the computer's operation, so the team had to remove it, which is where the phrase debugging originated. Grace Hopper would be the first to refer to a computer problem as a bug and to refer to the debugging of a computer. In fact, you can reportedly find the moth's remains in the team's logbook at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. While at Harvard, Grace Hopper would also contribute to the Manhattan Project. After leaving Harvard due to the lack of promotion and the lack of being granted tenure, Grace Hopper would join the Eckert Mockley Computer Corporation, where she'd be assigned to the team developing the UNIVAC-1. The UNIVAC-1 would, would eventually become the world's first commercially produced electronic digital computer. It weighed 8 tons, and it used 5,000 vacuum tubes, but it could perform about 1,000 calculations per second. Remington Rand would acquire the Eckert Mockley Computer Corporation just a year or two after Hopper had joined the organization. While working on the UNIVAC project, Grace Hopper had an idea, a transformational idea. Why not use English words to program computers? Instead of going through the slog of teaching people the vast complexity of mathematical symbols used for programming. But as Grace Hopper shared her idea to all of her peers, no one bought into the concept. Computers don't understand English, Grace, she was told. But that wasn't good enough for Grace Hopper. She'd say later that, quote, It's much easier for most people to write an English statement than it is to use symbols. So I decided 
data processors ought to be able to write their programs in English and the computers would translate them into machine code, end quote. So Grace Hopper went about the chore of building out her idea so that she could earn the approval and acceptance from her colleagues. After publishing a research paper on the notion of a compiler, that is, a program that converts words and instructions into a machine code so that they can be read and executed by a computer. So after she published a paper on the notion, Grace Hopper went and built a compiler. It was known as the A compiler, and the first version was A-0. It would be the world's first compiler. Grace Hopper would start turning heads, earning her the nickname Amazing Grace. In 1954, Grace Hopper was named as Remington Rand's first director of automatic programming. Her team would then develop Flowmatic, the first programming language to use English-like commands. This was a big departure from other dominant computer languages of the era, such as Fortran. Years later, in a 1980 interview, Grace Hopper would say, quote, What I was after in beginning English language programming was to bring another whole group of people able to use the computer easily. I kept calling for more user-friendly languages. Most of the stuff we get from computer science people is in no way adapted to people, end quote. That's right. Back in the 1950s, Grace Hopper was democratizing technology decades ahead of her time. By 1959, COBOL was introduced as the first standardized general business computer language. COBOL is short for Common Business Oriented Language. While there were a number of people involved in the development of COBOL, few was as active in its promotion as Grace Hopper. In fact, some refer to Grace as the mother of COBOL. By the 1970s, COBOL was one of the most commonly used computer languages in the world, if not the most commonly used computer language. In 1986, after a career that spanned both active duty and reserve service in the U.S. Navy, Grace Hopper would officially retire at the rank of Rear Admiral. She retired at the age of 79 years, 8 months, and 5 days. At the time of her retirement, only four other officers in the entire U.S. Navy's history had served at a more advanced age, one of which was Chester Nimitz. Clearly a pioneer in computer science and programming, Grace Hopper also had a passion for teaching. Throughout her career, she served in a variety of roles as adjunct professor or workshop or seminar leader or facilitator. In 1991, Grace Hopper would be awarded the National Medal of Technology by then-President George Bush, where she'd say, If you ask me what accomplishment I'm most proud of, the answer would be all the young people I've trained over the years. That's more important than writing the first compiler. On New Year's Day 1992, Grace Hopper passed away peacefully in her sleep and would be deservingly interred with full military honors at Arlington National Cemetery, along with so many of our country's other invaluable treasures. In 2016, President Obama would posthumously award Grace Hopper the Presidential Medal of Freedom, just one of the prestigious scores of honors and awards she has accumulated globally. Grace Hopper transformed the science of computing and the world of technology. She defied standard norms and proved her countless doubters wrong. And her critical work would allow the world's vast community of non-technologists 
better utilize technology, undoubtedly impacting so many other discoveries and advancements to this day and beyond. Grace Hopper once said, quote, people have an enormous tendency to resist change. They love to say, we've always done it this way. I try to fight that, end quote. Job well done, Grace Hopper. And your endless fight inspires and uplifts armies and armies of change agents today. Hey, that just about wraps up this edition of This Week in Business History. But before we go, I want to get one person's take on the story of one Grace Hopper. That's my 11-year-old daughter, Brantley Luton. Brantley, what inspires you about Grace Hopper's story? Um, I like how she was a woman in that time because... Back then, not a lot of girls were in that position, and that kind of inspires me the most. Outstanding. Thanks, Brantley. Appreciate you being a part of this episode of This Week in Business History. We're proud of you. Hey, to our audience, those are some of the stories that stood out to us, but what do you think? Find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and share your comments there. We're here to listen. On that note, thanks so much for listening to our podcast. Be sure to check out a wide variety of industry thought leadership at supplychainnow.com. Hey, friendly reminder, you can now find This Week in Business History wherever you get your podcasts from. And be sure to tell us what you think. We'd love to earn your review. On behalf of the entire team here at This Week in Business History and Supply Chain Now, this is Scott Luton wishing all of our listeners nothing but the best. Hey, do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time here on This Week in Business History. Hey, thanks everybody.